Well, for this message uh, for this morning, I have a gift. It's not my gift, but I'm going to give you a gift. It's God's gift to you, and it's not me. So that's, that's I, I'm not... I'm arrogant, but I'm not that arrogant. I'm not, I'm not that pretentious. Uh, no, we're, we're going to talk about rest. Oh, see, that's what you want to hear, that rest. Yes, that's a, you know, it's, it's a gift. And I can't give you the rest, but God has a way for you to enter into a rest. As we've been looking at this idea of discipleship, we're spending extended time considering and thinking about discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? How, how, how do I follow Christ in my discipleship? What's my part? What's, what's others' part? What's the church's role in that? What does discipleship even look like? What are some key areas I need to focus on? Well, we, we recognize that our life in Christ begins with an invitation and a response to that invitation. The invitation is God's. He says, through my son, Jesus Christ, you can know me and, and we can be in relationship with one another. So it's that invitation that God extends to us to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so nothing, I I want you to hear this first, nothing happens, you're not a disciple until you say yes to Jesus Christ, that I want to live for Jesus, I I recognize that I've lived my way, I've, I've gone my own direction in life, but now I recognize that God has a way for me and He wants relationship with me. And that comes only through Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said that about Himself. No one goes to the Father, no one... It has relationship with the Father, except that it comes through me, Jesus was saying. And we believe that. We believe that about Jesus, and we believe that what he says is true. And so that begins, that invitation from God to enter into that relationship through the gift of his Son, Jesus Christ. That's the first gift you have to receive and open and and accept and begin to live in, is that Jesus Christ would be your Savior, and that begins that relationship. But But then the second part is that discipleship. The second decision, the, the second part of that, and, and again, we're not talking about a works. We, we don't become saved in our discipleship. We're saved again because of the work of Jesus Christ. But we do have a part in becoming more in the image of Christ. And that's what discipleship is a reflection of. It's our following Jesus in his teachings and in his lifestyle. It's living the life like Jesus lived it and saying the things that Jesus said and knowing the Father the way that Jesus knew him. So it's understanding Scripture, it's time in prayer, it's, but it's more than that. It's an inner life with God. It's a transformation of who we were before Christ to who we're becoming as we walk with him and we follow after him. And so that's what this second part is, this transformational process where the life of God gets so worked into us, the Holy Spirit of God so moves through us, and what Jesus is doing is, is becomes part of what we're doing. And so we become a reflection of who he is. And, and so that's how we begin to see that we're becoming more in his image. Our life produces what we've sown into it. And if our life is going to produce what we've sown into it, that means we have to sow the life of Jesus, right? If we want to see the life of Jesus come out of us. So I can't live off of somebody else's spirituality. I may have had a good mentor. I may have had somebody. I may, it could have been a parent or grandparent. could have been a friend who brought me along and, and let, led me to know Jesus Christ. Maybe helped, led me through a Bible study. But just because that person helped me through that, 
I don't get to claim their spiritual life. I have to sow into, invest into my own spiritual life because out of my life is going to be produced the fruit of whatever it is that I've sown into it. And, and for some of us, I know for, for me, at one point in my life, that was very frightening because it was just this awakening that I haven't done the work. I've relied too much. I was probably about uh, six years or so into my discipleship when I realized that everything around me was producing this fruit out of me. I, was, I had surrounded myself with good people. I had surrounded myself in good, with good environments. But there was stuff in me that was still coming out that wasn't a reflection of the work of God. And part of that was I realized when those externals were pulled away from me, who I was when I wasn't around the things that was kind of propping up my faith, I was in trouble. I would sometimes behave differently. I would act differently. I would, I, it wasn't an expression of the true discipleship that I wanted to see in my life. And I realized that it was so many of the external things that was really propping up my faith. And so it, it shook me. I thought, my life is not producing what I want. It's actually just producing what I've sown into it. And so this is why this is important for us. This is why I'm emphasizing it, is because I want you to have the life that Jesus wants for you, which is an abundant life. And you want that. That's why we come together. We don't want just religious services. We don't want just to have a Christian bumper sticker tagged on things and say, okay, we're all good. We, I mean, boy, when Jesus says he can give us life and give it abundantly, how many of us would just say, that's what I want? That's why I'm here. That's what I'm signing up for. I didn't sign up for religious obligation. I signed up for the life that Jesus said he could bring to me. And so when we talk about discipleship, that's what we want. We want to then look at this. What are we sowing into our life? Because what we want produced is the life that Jesus can bring to us. So one of the ways, another way that Jesus showed us the Father and and how his relationship was connected was through his daily and weekly rhythms, just how he lived life, his, his patterns for uh, living life. And, and a lot of that had to do with how he dealt with rest, where rest fit into his life. And, and so we're going to look at what rest looks like in light of Scripture. I know that may seem kind of out of the scope. You know, shouldn't we be talking about a theology about, you know, what the New Testament says about you know, salvation or forgiveness or, you know, uh, what we should be doing and how we help in our communities and the mission of the church. And, and all of those things are important. But, but I want to help you see that Jesus had an understanding of where rest fit in his life. And it had a very important role in terms of his relationship to the Father and being able to do what the Father had asked him to do. So I, I really, especially, and so here was the other thing is, thinking about Thanksgiving, and then thinking about what, what do we call this coming Friday in our culture? Black Friday, right? It just, it just gets hectic. It just gets crazy and advertisements. And, you know, we, we, we have in our culture, we have a history of even violence breaking out over purchasing things, if you can imagine that right after the day that we give thanks for all the things that we already have. So it's in our culture. It's probably been in our upbringing if we were raised in this culture. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we love it. It doesn't mean that that's what we want. But there is this pace that suddenly this 
uh, frantic pace that picks up around the holidays. And oftentimes people will say, I just, I don't know that I'm ready, right? We, I'm not ready for the holidays. Oh, that we would just enjoy the rest that God has for us this season. And so I think this is such a good time to really focus on what is the rest that God provides for us? How can we step into it even though the pace of the holidays is about to get crazy around us? How can we remain in that place where we're with the Father and we're experiencing a true abiding rest within our soul? So let's pray as we look to the Scriptures. Father, I thank you for going beyond what I can teach. I thank you, one, for the words you have given me, but Lord, I, I recognize their limitation, that it's not enough, that you actually have something to say to each one of us individually this morning. So Holy Spirit, I, I just release you in Jesus' name to speak to each one of us, each individual in this room, that you would bring to the surface anything that would help us to know you more. And Father, I want to especially just pray that as, as I bring up this, this topic of rest, and even as we were praying earlier, there's just an insight that there are at least two, but maybe more, who are struggling with real anxiety. And the idea of talking about rest, Lord, and what you provide is even bringing up some anxious feelings in people that they're even doing that wrong, and they're struggling and feeling anxiety about it. So I just speak over myself, over this room, just the peace of Christ that passes our understanding, that there would come this peaceful presence, Lord, as you minister to us through your word, and Holy Spirit, as you have access to those innermost places of our life and our thinking, of our heart, that we would respond to you, we'd hear from you. And we would be able to obtain and, and enter into that rest you have for us. Amen. It really is amazing as I was, you know, over the past few months, I've been looking at the scriptures and, and where rest fits in. It's amazing that how, how much of it I have missed, how much often in the church we miss this invitation for rest. And again, I, I think a lot of it comes even in our church culture, in evangelical Christianity, North American church culture. We are doers. We are active. We are engaged in evangelism and ministry. We are engaged in learning more and, and uh, study. We are engaged in, in a lot of activity. And a lot of it is really good activity, a lot of good things. And so it's, it's not in any way to negate those things, but, but it's amazing to me how over the past few months as I've looked through scriptures and just seen how often there is, especially in the life of Christ, this pulling away and this engagement that he has with the Heavenly Father, and it's a place of rest where he gets out of the activity and even the frantic behavior that's around him and people, crowds pressing in, and he takes time to rest. And yet how difficult it is in our culture to actually do that. And it makes me wonder if, Maybe we feel like rest is a guilty pleasure, <laughs> that it's somehow something that, yeah, we know we're supposed to do it, but it would be better if we were just more productive. If we could just muster up the energy and do more, that would actually fix it better than rest would help, right? If, if I could just find a way to get more energy, then I wouldn't need as much rest, and that would take care of it as opposed to needing to, to, uh, to work and understand rest. 
So work, we understand. Work and efficiency, I, I want to say in our culture, we got that pretty good. I mean, how many of you go to a place, have, have worked in a place where they say, yeah, we really don't schedule much, just whatever you do, you do today. Just, you know, whatever you can bring us, that's good. You know, anybody worked at a place that way? I mean, I think there's probably a few applicants who are interested in, in that here. No, I mean, you show up, they've got something for you to do from the minute you punch in to the minute you, you clock out in the day. They want to fill that schedule. In fact, I worked for a place that, that, was, uh, that, that was reprimanded or was written up by the Fair Labor Standards Act because they were trying to get people to work before their work started. <laughs> they said, we, want you to, we don't want you to punch in yet. We want you to do some work and then punch in. And people came in, you know, the government came in and said, uh-uh, you can't, you can't do that. People have to be paid for the work they do. But listen, we try and do that. Companies will try and do that. Businesses, and even we do that with ourselves. We want to maximize the time. We don't want to be wasteful. And, and by maximizing time, I just mean that we want to get as much done in a moment as can be accomplished. You know, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I, because a lot of my work is done on keyboard, that I find myself trying to type so fast just so I can get this done in the next five minutes that I'm just making mistake after mistake and my hands are starting to tense up because I've got to get this done in this next five. It's like, what, what kind of insanity is that? I'm just doing terrible work. You know, I'm not even typing well because I'm, I've got to get this in in a certain amount of time. We do this. I do this. We want to get as much into the minute and in, in the hour and the month as possible. If we don't, we feel like it's a waste of time. So it's, it's with that understanding of our culture that's kind of built into us that we are very efficient. We look to maximize our time. We, we look to use as much of our time as we can to accomplish things. That it's not surprising that God views it differently than this mindset that I just presented. He sees rest as essential. Not only does he see it as essential, He sees it as inescapable, that you will rest whether you choose it or whether your body forces you to. He is hardwired into our lives and our culture rest. Genesis chapter 1, verses 31, verse 31, and then chapter 2, verse 3. So it's the very point of creation. God has already done His creative work. And we pick up in chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so, that's the sixth day. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Think just for a moment. God creates in six days, and he makes it a point to tell Moses that he rested the seventh day. He finishes creating man and woman in his image, a reflection of who he is. He doesn't wait and create them later. He doesn't insert the resting day on the second or third day. He waits until creation is finished finished, and he invites mankind to join him in his rest, his delight, 
of his creation. We're talking about God, who one of his attributes is that he's all-powerful. God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get so busy. In fact, he is outside of our confinements of time, and so he doesn't run out of time. He doesn't run out of energy. His mind, he is omniscient, so he knows everything. He is creative beyond our imagination in terms of his capacity to think and create. We, we can't even go there in terms of understanding his ability mentally. This is who God is. This is who we're talking about. And he rested from his work. And he said it was good. He recognized what had happened and he took a moment and he rested. Now, as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, did God do that for him or did he do that for us? I recognize God did that for us. It's a gift. He has unlimited capacities, unlimited abilities. He's not tired. He doesn't get worn down. His schedule doesn't get too full. Woven into the origins of how galaxies, the earth, everything on the earth, mankind, everything comes this capstone event that maybe in our culture would be viewed anticlimactic. We think everything happened in this, by six days. It was all done, and that's all there was to do. But for some reason, God said, no, 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 we're not done yet. There's a seventh day. And on the seventh day comes rest. The, the Jewish word that's related to this is Shabbat. You've maybe heard of Shabbat. And, and the idea, we, it's where we get Sabbath. The idea behind it is stopping, ceasing. Like everything stopped. There, there was no more things to do. It was, there's more that could be done, but it just all, it stopped. And so when we talk about a Sabbath, taking a Sabbath, or we reference the Sabbath, when Jesus talked about the Sabbath, in their mindset, it was a, a stopping or a ceasing for the way that, from the activity that was taking place. And so if you look at the seven days in which creation and, and formation of the earth, the galaxies, and then humanity itself, then on that seventh day comes this capstone of God's creative work, and it's a day that everything ceases, everything is to stop. Reflect on that for just a moment, and this idea that rest is hardwired into the fabric of creation. It's not outside of God's creative work. It is the capstone. It is the final product. It is the completion of His creative work that there is a rest that comes upon the creation. And primarily for you, you and I, we're the ones who get to read this. We're the ones who get to engage in it. Animals, though, animals rest. Animals take a rest. It's wired into them. They don't just keep going and going. Nature has seasons where it produces fruit and then it rests from that producing. There's work going on internally, but it's not constantly producing. It's, it's kind of redrawing from the life that it has in, in the trunk, in the, the core, and the roots, and it produces more fruit. There's seasons. 
land itself requires rest. I have a, a brother-in-law who's a farmer, and uh, he talks about how he, he grows potatoes. And one of the things that he says is, I can't just produce potatoes over and over out of the land because the potatoes draw too much out of the land. I've got to let the land rest. The land itself needs to rest. You can't just keep drawing from it what it has. It needs a moment to to, uh, be rejuvenated. To work against how you and I are hardwired is to really introduce brokenness into our life. It's really to introduce this breaking down of what God originally designed for us to experience. We try so many ways to work against this creative order. We consume products. We use weird sleep schedules. We change our lighting and environments to resist it so we can keep going. And I know this all too well firsthand. Anybody here try and pull all-nighters before? Yeah. Yeah. I remember... A couple of my first ones, I, I may have done one in high school, but I remember vividly the, the first one or two that I tried in college. I had uh, one in particular was a project that was a Bible timeline. We had to create this Genesis to Revelation Bible timeline, and we, we had to write it all out and, and just create it. All the spaces had to be exact, and the, it was very difficult once the kingdoms divided, you know, and you had the timeline matching it up of who are the prophets during that time. Sorry, I'm boring you with the details. Anyways, it was all consuming. And of course, true to myself, I waited until the last week to really get started on it. And the due date was approaching and I was out of time, which means I was going to be up all night long. So back in the day, we had these little tablets called no-dos. I don't know if you still use those, you know, and then coffee. And so I just you know, pumped my system up with as much caffeine as I could get, and I'm just going to work through the night, and, you know, I'm doing well to one, starts getting to two, I'm getting to three, and by four o'clock, things are getting weird. I mean, like, it seemed like Jesus and, you know, Isaiah were coming to me in visions, and (laughs) the dates weren't lining up, and it was just getting really weird, and I could just tell my body was saying, what are you doing? We don't do this. Like, you, you're not meant for this. I remember another time going with family. We were driving from here, Grand Junction, to Indiana, and we decided this is in a Dodge Caravan. And uh, we're all crammed in there in the back seat with the car seat next to us. And, and we decided we're going to do an all-nighter because we're not going to stop and pay for a hotel when we got that many drivers in the car. It makes sense just to drive it straight through. And uh, going out, it was dicey, it was a little rough, you know, especially if you had the seat that really didn't have a back on it. But then on the way home, I remember I got up near Vail Pass, and I'm supposed to be the the co-pilot who's keeping the driver awake, and I started getting physically nauseous just from being awake. I'm like, the, the road started getting blurry in front of me, and I just physically was feeling sick. We had to pull over and stop. And I thought, I'm going to lose it here just because I'm tired. I'm so tired. It's making me sick. <laughs> You've been there? I, I see the heads nodding. Yep, I've, I've been there. So your mind starts playing tricks. You start seeing things. Weird thoughts start coming in at times. Rest really is 
hardwired. In fact, I think I found a new slogan that I'm going to use through this series, and uh, rest is blessed. Rest is blessed. It is, it is what God has created in, in part of his creative act, and he puts in the seventh day, and he says, and he rested as a gift to you and I. And without that gift, we push it, and we keep going, and we keep driving, and we just break ourselves down, and we're working against the very way which he wired us and created us. Not only does God hardwire rest into the fabric of creation, but he gave Moses some instruction about what his intent was for this rest. Now, I realize, so hear me in this. I realize that in, in our church culture, there are different camps. There are those who feel like that's, that's Old Testament stuff. That's Hebrew scriptures, and so it doesn't really apply. Jesus is our Sabbath, and so we don't need a Sabbath rest. So I recognize there's that tension. Then there's others who would say, no, they're, they're out of the Old Testament. There are things that God has given us. And, and even in the view of the Sabbath, that it has to be followed even strictly and very specifically in the things that you can and can't do. So we have people on both sides of, of that camp. I recognize that. And even in this room, we probably have a few that are in different places. And, and so my goal isn't in our time this morning, isn't to... Uh, convince you that you have to either strictly follow a Sabbath a certain way or to get you to dismiss this idea that Sabbath even applies to the New Testament followers of Jesus. I'm just simply wanting to open up the scriptures before you and just allow us to see that at least we can agree the fact that God in his creative work said the Sabbath is there, a day of rest is a reflection of what he intends for us. There's something about that that he wants us to understand. Most of us uh, know the Ten Commandments. In fact, it's actually a bit of a hot topic at times because there's places in our country where the Ten Commandments are listed in courthouses, different places, and, and in public places, there's some debate about whether that's the right approach because of church and state, that, that type of thing. Um, so, it, you know, it, it can get uh, some divisiveness around that. But, but let me go into the Ten Commandments, and, and I'm just using an abridged version. I know it's, it's kind of like what you might see on a, on a picture. It's not written out as the whole Scripture. It's a little bit abbreviated, except for uh, the fourth, which relates to something we often overlook. So, one, you shall, ha- you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is the water under the earth. Three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And so we kind of go through those and it's like, that makes sense. You know, the, the uniqueness of God, let's be careful about how we speak of God, how we, we don't create images of God. Uh, we get to four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner or foreigner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Then we go on to five. Honor your father and your mother. The days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
And then 10, you shall not cover your neighbor's house or your neighbor's possessions, okay? I love how at the end, I just kind of side note, at the end, we just start going through a list, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. You know, it's just like, I think you, you know, God's giving us the benefit of the doubt. I think you understand how those work. Don't do those. You, you don't need explanation. You know how those work. Interesting, though, when it comes to the Sabbath, God makes sure we understand what it is that needs to happen because we have this great capacity to kind of work around and justify some of our actions. Well, when it says don't work, what exactly is considered work? Because what I consider work maybe isn't what the other person considers work. And what if I'm not doing the work? What if it's I have my son finish the project for me and so I don't work, but he could work for me. So God has to go in to really give Moses this really good detail and say, six days you do all your work. The seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord. You should not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the foreigner who's within your gates. I, he really has to get specific with us because that's lost productivity. What are we doing wasting a day when somebody at least could be working instead of me? It's okay if I don't, but what if somebody else works in place of me? I just, I, it's comical to me that when I see explicit instruction in Scripture, to me it indicates God realizes we look for ways around things. And so he has to get pretty specific with us for us to follow into it. So nestled into this, these Ten Commandments, that we often see as just kind of more of a moral code of behavior, good ways in which we should live, ways that would help our society or our culture to live together, it almost seems misplaced. All these other things, murder, yeah, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. It just seems disjointed. Why in there? Why is there this instruction about a Sabbath day? And I come to the point where apparently God believes we already know how not to steal, not to murder, but we really need this explicit instruction to rest. We need this, we need somebody to tell us to stop. Because if somebody doesn't tell us, there's there's this pressure around us, sometimes a suffocating pressure, that will tell us, you can't stop. You can't stop. You, but it'll fall apart if you don't keep going. You're going to miss out on something if you don't stay in the loop. It's going to fail if you're, if you're not attentive to it. You're lazy if you're not doing the work that you should be doing, resting is a sign of laziness. It's wasting time. But not only is the rest for me, and I thought this was so interesting out of this portion of Scripture, and with this I'll wrap up for this morning. The rest is not only for me, but I am to extend it to all who are within my authority or within my reach. Boy, this is challenging. We hate to lose the opportunity to produce more. We hate to lose a day, and it really does feel like losing a day in our cultural mindset. But the Sabbath, as I said before, literally means ceasing. How many times have I or have you experienced where 
okay, I'm going to leave this, but I'm going to keep something going over here. That way I can leave it. How many vacations have I gone on where I leave something out there and I'm not really letting it go? It never leaves me. It just is attached to me. I have somebody else operating or doing it for me, and I struggle with this ability to just let it rest and let it stop. So often we use these words. We say, it's, I can't stop. I'm pressed. It's consuming me. It's driving me. Those are the types of words that we talk about when we just feel consumed with what's, what's, what's happening on around us. But the, the invitation this morning, and I'll go into in the coming weeks, what, what does a Sabbath or what might it look like for us? There's a lot of things we can look at. It's pretty simple. I mean, again, the concept is that we cease, that we, we just put a pause in there. But let me, let me at least indicate why we need to do it as, as I finish. As one, it's hardwired, as I mentioned. Our bodies need it. We do not function well when we don't stop. We need a time to rest in the evening. But each week, we need a time where it just activity stops. Again, it's not meant to be a law that is put upon us. Jesus, in fact, addressed that with the uh, religious leaders of his day. He said, you've now made what was meant to be a gift, you've made it a burden. And it's not meant to be a burden. It's a gift from your heavenly Father to you. He recognizes how He created us and, and what the need is. But here's the other thing is I have the ability to extend it to those around me by allowing them to enter into that rest as well. And this is where I personally am finding it challenging is as a parent. <laughs> and Many of you, if you have kids in the home, you recognize pressures on them that weren't present maybe when you were growing up. And part of it has to do with social media. But as I was growing up, I'm 50 years old, but as I was growing up, there was time left open for church. And then on Sundays, activity stopped just kind of in town anyways. Many of the restaurants were closed. The grocery store had limited hours uh, Things just, businesses were shut down. They weren't open or going on Sunday. Uh, and so it was kind of more simple. The decision was made for me. You know that our young people are growing up in a culture that does not stop. I, I remember, again, uh, TV ended at a certain hour because <laughs> you just got snow, right? It's just broadcast day ended. They would tell you broadcast day has ended. The flag would come up, and then it, you'd snow would come on. And then it wouldn't start back up till 5 in the morning, something that way. It doesn't do that now. In fact, it doesn't ever leave. It's there on the devices 24-7. And so when I think about this, one area of application to me is how do I parent a child who's growing up in a culture that doesn't stop, and it won't help her to stop? It will leave things accessible to her 24-7. And if she's not involved in it, she's missing out. And how do I come alongside and help that schedule? Are there people in your life, let me ask you, are there people in your life that, that you have some influence with that you could help them in that process? I think about my role as pastor here at the church with 
people I disciple or even as a staff that I come alongside staff members and help them to find that opportunity to cease, to stop so that they can find rest. Are you leading the things in your life in a way that you can cause there to be a ceasing? Are you a parent? Are you teaching your child to understand ways to stop, to, to put boundaries around where things uh, get shut off or turned off so that they can have that restful time? Do you yourself find it difficult to rest? And that's where when we were praying earlier, there was this idea that, that maybe there's a, a couple who are dealing with such anxiety right now. And, and so in even this idea of rest, all that's happening is a growing anxiety that I don't know when I will ever find that type of rest or that type of time. The interesting, and to that point, I'll just say this, the interesting thing that God brings up in this portion when he says this is what we're to do is it's not saying that productivity is lost. It's not saying that it's going to be easy. It just means that God will still be on the throne. Life will go on. Things that we think have to get done, they'll get done a day later. And so that sense that we're losing something is actually a gift to us. And I pray that as we come together for this holiday season, that God begins to work this into each of us and that we don't look at the frantic pace that's going to happen in the culture all around us and say, I've just got to get in, I've got to get headlong into it. But we pause for a moment and we say, Lord, where's my opportunities to really find rest? Where is my opportunity to cease, to let everything around me drop and recognize that I'll still be okay? And the things I'm involved with, they'll be okay because God is on the throne. Stand with me if you would and let's finish with a, a song of worship. And then also a time of prayer. If you need prayer, I know, again, different ones have been feeling ill uh, because of the sickness in the valley. If you haven't been feeling well, whether it's uh, in the past just from flu stuff or even just physical, you're needing prayer, uh, we would love to pray with you. We have a prayer team in the back behind, in the sanctuary. There's a prayer room right here at the back that if you make your way back there, uh, they would love to pray for you. Um, if you are one who, when I just talked about anxiety and this idea of resting just causes you to be anxious, uh, we'd love to pray for you. Our prayer team is, is just standing by and they'll just pray over you that the peace that passes that understanding would just come over you and you'd be able to enter into the rest that God has for you. Lord, we take time now to respond to your word. And uh, God, this is difficult. This is a hard one because... Um, it can feel, Lord, like we're dropping the ball, that uh, we're letting people down or we're not getting something accomplished that we should be. And yet, it is an invitation. It is a gift from you. And we can receive it or we can try and resist it and then we begin to feel it in our bodies. And we feel it in our decision-making and others around us feel it as well. So I just pray for each of us, God, as, as we respond to you, that we would accept this gift that you have not with guilt, but Lord, with 
a recognition that it is part of your creative order and is part of your gift to us. So we thank you for it. Amen.